0: We're continuing our study in Colossians, open up to chapter 1. Greg spoke from 2 Corinthians 4 last week and he spoke to us about what it meant to be pressed and not broken. um, How to be lost, but to be at a loss, but not to be lost and not to be abandoned and to manifest the life of Christ in our daily life. Paul is striking a similar tone here in the passage we're going to look at today. But I just want to ask you a question. Some of you can answer this experientially. Some of you answer this theoretically. What does it look like to suffer? What does it look like to suffer? Talk to me. Painful. Mm -hmm. Alone. Mm. Yeah. What else? Abandon. Not being able to handle it. Yeah, Grant. What else? One of the things that I think... When you, I want to go back to the comment about abandoned. Who do you feel like abandons you? Everyone sometimes. Perhaps the most scary thing is to feel like God has abandoned you. Mm-hmm. Suffering is not uncommon in our world. I think that as of late, I feel like it has been accentuated far greater than I've ever seen it before that probably has to do with the internet probably has to do with the web and that probably has to do with a group of people who have found ways to to, to cause suffering on others in unimaginable means and ways such as ISIS has been doing and then and then you also this week i think that suffering came more real or more see that this week, Germany expects to, to receive 800,000 refugees by the end of the year. People fleeing suffering. And then this week, you see the image of Alan Al-Qurdi, a three-year-old Syrian child on a beach who had washed up dead. And suffering, it goes from being, it just takes it to a new height. When you see that. He didn't die alone. He died with his brother and his mother. His father was the only one to survive the trip. There have been as many as 25 other, 2,500 others who have drowned at sea trying to seek relief from their suffering. That is suffering at epic levels to some degree or another. Hard to imagine, hard to identify with kind of levels of suffering. And suffering is not limited to political or, or religious persecution. It comes in the form of undiagnosed disease, incurable disease. It, it comes when we suffer, when we, we lose a job, when we can't pay our bills, when we can't find a job. It, 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 suffering happens when others hate us or they target us or they wrongly attack us. Um, what, what are some other ways you would say that we suffer? What are some other ways that cause suffering on us? Offer something up for me physical pain. Mhm. What else? Loss of a child. Mhm. What else? Neglect. Mhm. So true. Mhm. What else? Misunderstanding. Yeah. Mental issues. Very good. And I would say also broken relationships. It seems like it's this intangible thing that you can't get your hands on, and yet breaking relationships cause just an inordinate amount of suffering in our lives. Well, Paul talks about suffering in our passage today. I'd like for you, if you want to open it, if, you, if you're in Colossians already, chapter 1, we're going to really get stuck today at, chapter, at verse 24. Here it is. I'll be reading it from the New American Standard, and that's what I'm teaching from. This is the passage right here if you want to look on with me. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake... And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of His body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Well, immediately there's one thing that I'd like to address, but I'm not going to in our time today. I'll send I'll send it out in an email this week because I want to move on to another thing that's on my mind. But you know that little phrase at the end right there can be pretty bothersome to a lot of people. That that um filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions Uh, you know what i'll just teach it all right we go there many would say with that there is church dogma and other faith systems that teaches what that is saying is that christ's death was incomplete and what needs to happen is that his people's suffering has to complete what he didn't do his atonement was unfinished and so that's, that's really hard to swallow. That is, you know, I mean, we just cannot buy that because that would mean that Christ's atonement was undone and that we are not fully saved just by the, 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 the death of Christ. Lacking, this, this little phrase right here, that filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, does not mean that Christ did not completely atone for us in his death. Mankind has always sought to find a way to keep himself in the equation. We do that. Like we talked about recently here a while back. Do you remember when we talked about how, you know, when you look at a photograph, you always look for yourself first in the photograph to see what you look like? When we talk about our relationship to God, that's what we do as well. We always want to see where we fit into this relationship with God and how we get to participate and how we get to contribute to it. And so... To say that Christ's atonement was lacking and that man needs to, to do something to fulfill his affliction is that very same kind of heresy that says, well, God wasn't enough. He needs my help. I'm here to take in, to step in and just do what you couldn't do, God. All right? I'm, I know. I'm glad You're glad to see me. I know. Thank you very much. And so that is just that teaching that says that. But that can't be true. That is just not possible. Because any kind of teaching that fits man into his teaching is heresy. Because it is God alone who comes to the table and says, You need me, and I'm providing everything you need to be relieved of your sin, debt, your guilt, your shame. Paul never taught that man had to supplement Christ's atonement in any fashion of his own suffering. For instance, here in Ephesians, right here, But now in Christ Jesus, Who formerly were far now in Christ, you who were formerly afar have been brought nearby, not because you suffer long with Christ, but by the blood of Christ. Doesn't mention us anywhere in that equation. There's no mention anywhere of God's help by us. His death was complete once for all and wholly adequate. One commentator said this. He said, He said, Simon of Cyrene may have carried the cross, but only Jesus of Nazareth was nailed to it and victoriously cried out, It is finished. He was the only one that hung on that cross. And in his statement, it is finished. What he said was, my death is enough. Your debt has been paid for if you choose to take it by faith. It is finished. There's no more work that has to be done to redeem man back to God. That work has been done by me. In my reading, working through this passage, John Piper says this. He says, what this means, what this means, I think, is that God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. Now, I didn't tell you that this passage is considered one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, in the New Testament. So you don't hear, even hear John Piper saying, this is what it means. Even he says, I think. I think that this intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. God really means for the body of Christ, the church, to experience some of the suffering he experienced so that when we offer the Christ of the cross to people, they see the Christ of the cross in us. We are to make the afflictions of Christ real for people by the afflictions we experience in offering him to them and living the life of love he lived. His sufferings are complete in our sufferings, because in ours, the world sees his. And they have their point, and the and sufferings have their appointed effect. The suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of his people for sinners. And he goes on further and he says, The point is that taking the gospel to people across the office, across the ocean, ordinarily requires sacrifice and suffering a losing of life or a denying of self. And this is the way that Christ means His his saving sufferings to be taken to the world through the sufferings of His people. Suffering is God's strategy for completing the Great Commission. We have plenty of time in eternity to enjoy the benefits. That line right there, suffering is God's strategy. Hmm. I think that... Paul understood this. I think that he is, is beginning to unpack that. And I think that he does that a lot. Because if you look at verse 24, his very first thing he says is, I rejoice in suffering. For us to even begin to understand this statement by Paul, I think it's necessary for us to step back out of this passage and look at the broader passages of the New Testament to understand suffering from a bigger perspective. And so, first of all, keep in mind that God's plan... God's plan for suffering includes his own son. For us to understand suffering from the big picture, we have to understand that first of all, God's plan for suffering included his own son. Matthew 16 here, he says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Christ understood this. He's teaching this to his people. Jesus' sermon in in Jerusalem in Acts 2 says this. He says that this man, speaking of Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, God's plan, predetermined, understood, known, was for him to be nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and to be put to death. God's plan had suffering for his own son. John 15, 20, Christ says to his disciples, he says to us, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So God's own son, nor his people, are immune to suffering. Now, there are a lot of folks who teach different than that. A lot. That if you are suffering, that means that you are doing it wrong. We just keep that teaching in mind. But let me just tell you something. If you're here at Crossing, you don't belong to a church that teaches that. But that doesn't mean that somewhere in the depths of our heart, we don't believe that. It doesn't mean that somewhere deep inside, when things begin to go awry, we don't say to ourselves, I don't deserve this. What did I do? Why is this happening to me? I don't teach that. I don't read that in my Bible. But that's what I say to myself. When things don't go well. Because that's what our hearts are geared toward. Our hearts are geared toward comfort, niceties, pleasure, fun. Well, let's go on and we're going to understand a little bit more about why suffering is so important in God's plan. The second thing about understanding suffering is that God uses suffering in our life for our own good. God uses suffering in our own life for our own good. You know, now then, there are some times when you're going to say this is that suffering, like I said, suffering is never due to you not living well, to you, God's displeasure on you. Are you not doing it right before God? That you're not reading your Bible enough or anything like that? But I have to throw this caveat in there that sinful living has consequences. And so I have a very dear friend who, before he was saved, he was using quite a bit. And years after he was saved and had no longer been using, he had the repercussions of his drug use come back into his life. And he suffered, not out of God's pleasure or not out of God's plan, but because of the consequences of his sin. Those are two different things, so just keep that in mind. So, But here what James says, and this is a passage that many people know. Consider it all a joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then Romans 5, Romans 5, 3 and 5 says this. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Very little of this life comes, very little of, uh, in in this life comes from doing nothing. You know, we always tell people that if they, those who, who was given their wealth or their privilege, we call them spoiled because we think that you should earn it unless that person is us. And then we think that we deserved it. Well, God understands our character. It's just like the communion service, which is is really outstanding, Michael. and, 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 And I really enjoyed it. But it's that God knows our hearts. He knows we need to be reminded. He also knows when left to ourselves, we will seek comfort first and foremost. And we need hardship. We need suffering to bring about the kind of stuff he wants in us. So seasons of suffering do that. We are, we, the, 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 the character of Christ is rarely ever formed in seasons of comfort. But he says here that it is in suffering brings about perseverance, in proven character, in hope, and that hope does not disappoint. Paul also says in the text that he, enjo- he rejoices in his suffering. This is the third point to understanding suffering. Right? That he rejoices in his suffering. Well, that's, that is kind of a crazy comment, isn't it? To think about that you rejoice in suffering. But 2 Corinthians 6, 4 says that as, as sorrowful, it speaks about being sorrowful and yet rejoicing. James 1, 2 says, Count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it a joy. So suffering for Jesus is a privilege, It's a privilege. I I, I don't know how to explain it very well, but let me just put it like this. And I know this is not a good illustration, but it's the best one I could come up with. Think of it like this, that when we become something, part of something bigger than us, when we become part of something grander or more important than us, that is just more than we are, we get excited about it. Really, that's what every person wants to be. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves in some way or another. And so let's say that a young man or a young woman um, gets on the sports team. And I'll use my cultural context and say that a young man got on the football team. And so the first thing that happens is there's a sticker on the back of the car that has the name of the school with a football on it. And and, in West Texas, the next thing that would happen would be a jacket that they'd have with the name of the team, with a football on it, maybe even his name on it. And then being a part of the team means that I have to give up some of my money to buy equipment. And being part of the team means that I give up every Friday night for the next 10 or 11 weeks, if I'm lucky, 12 or 13 weeks, but that never happened in my small town. (laughs) We never went beyond the regular season. But it means that I give up every Friday night for the next 10 or 11 weeks so that I can have my moment of glory on the field. And it means that I miss time with my friends and my family and I miss other social activities and I have to work harder in other areas of life to keep up because I'm giving up so much time for my sport. It's what I talk about, it's what I think about, and my life rotates around it. And this is where my illustration breaks down, I admit. But bear with me. That young man, that young athlete, suffered through all of what I just described for you so they could enjoy something, so they could love something, that they loved it so much they were willing to sacrifice for it. So when we suffer for Jesus because he has captured our imagination, or our hearts, or our minds, communion begins to come alive because we grasp its deep, deep meaning because we realize what he did for us. And in realizing what he did for us, realizing that I'm setting aside so much a part of life and that I even come to a place that I suffer for his name or because of his cause is something where I'm like going, this is what I'm living for. I'm setting aside all of this part of my life so that I can do this. And that if I even have to, I mean like, you know, young men, young women, who train for it, they glory in the sweat. And some of the men glory in the smell of it. They want it to be taken notice because that suffering means I am part of something bigger than myself. I'm part of something that I'm excited about. I love what I'm doing. And so for us to try and understand what it means to suffer for Jesus as a privilege, it means we're coming to a place where we understand who he is at a much deeper, intimate level. So that when we do actually suffer, we understand that it's because of his plan, his good pleasure, because he is worth it. Because I'm a part of something that I could never have been a part of on my own. But only by his good grace and his good pleasure, he has brought me into his family. He has adopted me. He has redeemed me. He has reconciled me. He's done all that so I can be a part of him. And when we begin to understand that, and we begin to allow that meaning to sink into our life and shape us and mold us, when we begin to suffer, we're not at a place where they go, I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything for this. Matter of fact, this is the truth. He says, they persecuted me, so they'll persecute you. They're not angry at you if they persecute you for Jesus' name. They're angry at him. And his name is on your back. It's kind of like wearing a cowboy jersey to an Eagles game. (laughs) They don't even know you, but they hate you. You've identified yourself with him. And the world will hate you. Not because of you because of him now then let's just take another step backwards and you've probably heard this said or preached sometime or another and it says if the world has never hated you and you called yourself a christian what does that mean did you get off easy maybe but it might mean that we've taken the easy way out and we've not taken certain stands and we've not spoken out at certain times it might mean that and that might be something that you need to think about So it's a privilege to suffer for his name. Another concept that we need to understand is this. The suffering for Jesus is a privilege. There's Acts 5, Acts 9, Romans 8, but also that the fleeting nature of suffering and the eternal nature of our rewards. Um, 1 Peter Peter does a great job of that, and here the passage is First Peter, Peter 1, three through nine: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for salvation. And in this you greatly rejoice, even though now, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you'll be distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to just ask you something this morning. Some of us are suffering right now. Some of us wonder if this suffering will ever end or what it's going to look like. Some of us wonder, will I be okay when this is all over? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my reputation? What's going to happen to my, my job or my business? What's going to happen to my health? Will I be okay? There's lots of ways of suffering. And many of us are going through those things. This morning, I want to share with you just exactly what you've read in Scripture. That your hope is preserved. You have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and it's reserved for you. The best way to understand suffering is to understand that this life is not the only life that you'll ever have. The best way to understand suffering is to understand that there is another life and that this one is fleeting and momentary and that the next one Everything you've longed for, everything you've wanted will be fulfilled in that. And that He will be there. He'll wipe away those tears that you're shedding today. He'll take the heaviness of your heart away. He'll take those struggles that you're fighting with day in and day out and He'll remove them. That's His promise to you today. And that, I believe, is the most important thing that Paul understood as he was working through his suffering. That he could have hope. And he could even have joy knowing that this pain was going to pass. And that God had a purpose in it. And he had a plan in it. Even if he didn't understand it. And it's in a very deep understanding that I don't think I've ever really gotten yet. In my life. That Paul understood that. So that he could rejoice in his suffering. If you're here today. And you're suffering. And you're struggling. I pray for you. That you can abide. That you can cling to. That you can chase. That you can strive for. An understanding. Of the eternal weight of glory. That awaits you. That far surpasses this momentary affliction in your life. Let's pray.